Welcome to another edition of Conversations with Creative Women. I'm Sandy Klein. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that we're in for a mouthwatering conversation. Why, you ask? Because entrepreneur Milen Jardine is a New York City-based chocolatier who creates high-quality artisanal chocolates, and she's my guest today. Her passion for creating sweets began at a young age and was encouraged by her parents and reinforced as she got older by her extensive traveling. Before going out on her own, Milen spent 12 years in product development and sales at Macy's. However, her position was eliminated in 2016, and that's when she literally took matters into her own hands, launching Milen Jardine Chocolatier, offering exotic confections inspired by her globe-trotting Milen's mantra is celebrating diversity through chocolate. Sold online at boutiques and for corporate gifting pairing events, her confectionery creations have been featured at Christie's Auction House, upscale restaurants like Manhattan's Le Cirque, and given the green light by such culinary heavyweights as chefs Mark Forgione and Dominique Crenn, and not for nothing, enjoyed by Warren Buffett and Sting. So let's meet and get to know Milen Jardine. Welcome and thanks so much for joining me remotely today. Thank you for having me, Sandy, and that wonderful intro. Thank you. Milen, when you were growing up, was your mom, your dad, bakers? Were they in the kitchen a lot? Where did all this come from? Well, actually, my mother was very health conscious, so she didn't like us having a lot of sugar. She wanted us eating healthy, so then the only way I could really get a cookie in the house is if I made one. (laughs) I started baking (laughs) because I wanted sweets, and it was easier because then I was being, you know, productive. I wasn't watching TV. I was being creative. That I could justify being able to do, but then just going to the store, say, and buying, you know, a pack of Chips Ahoy or Oreos, that was something that my my Off parents limits, really huh? to do. Yeah. So how old were you when you started conniving in the kitchen? Uh, <laughs> that's a good word, conniving. I did start to negotiate early. Um, I guess as soon as I could like stand on a chair and start to mix things together. And I just used to look at books and I'd see all the pretty pictures of, of things you could eat. So I was of reading age. I'm just short, so I like to stand on chairs. <laughs> <laughs> now, obviously... Your family is French, correct? Yes. So here's the kind of conflict, which is fascinating. The French are known for their culinary Mm -hmm. skills. So I guess it was in your DNA. Yeah. It kind of, I guess at an early age too, my mother's from Paris. So her family's there and I would go and I would see all the beautiful pastries and the chocolates in the shops. And, you know, my eyes would widen and it, it appealed to me at an early age. Did you think as you got older that this was going to take you somewhere or this was strictly a hobby? It was a hobby. It was something that I liked to do. It brought me joy. My my grandparents were always huge supporters and they would say, you should do this when you're older. But I, as a kid, I don't know, I never, I enjoyed it, but I never kind of said like, I want to go to culinary school. Mm-hmm. As a kid, I was actually more of a, a dancer. I used to oh. take tap, jazz, and ballet. So it'd be in between often dance routines. We'd be in the kitchen and checking the oven and making sure things were going. Good grief. You were one busy little kid. So where I had a lot of energy. Where did you grow up and where did you wind up going to college? Um, I grew up in Queens, New York. New York. Oh, okay. And I went to Rutgers. 
Did you major in business? Because as I mentioned in the introduction, that you worked in product development and sales. I did. I was at a bit of a turning point um, at the end of high school and college because I had some injuries. I broke one foot my senior year of high school, and then I broke my second foot my sophomore year of college. And I was undecided. Do I want to major in dance? Do I want to, you know, what do I want to do with my life? And that kind of pushed me in the direction of going into business. A little little bit challenging. I had a lot of (laughs) loans I was taking out and I was like, how am I going to pay this off if I'm on crutches and I'm like a dancer? So it worked out that I got into the business school that sophomore year and then junior, senior year was a, a strong focus on business. I also mentioned in the introduction that you're quite a world traveler. Did that start as a young child when you would visit your grandparents in France and then just morph into more and more traveling as you got older? Yeah, having my mother's whole family being overseas, you know, I guess I was on a plane at an earlier age, an international flight at an earlier age than a lot of other children. Mm -hmm. And that was something that always brought the family together. We had summer vacations, whether it was just, you know, upstate to the Poconos or or to France. It was a time that we all got together. You have a change of scenery, you eat different foods, you see different sights. So something that always resonated with me. I I liked it. When I was in high school, I took French and I loved it. And I thought at some point, maybe I would major in it. I had just the best, most wonderful time when I did go overseas. And I'd been to France a couple of times. And I just can't imagine how wonderful it was for you to have both of those worlds at your disposal, the Mm -hmm. States and then Europe. No, it was. I Fauchon was my favorite store growing up. They had that that mm-hmm. bright pink background with the with the black logo and all of their their packaging and the colorful candies and it just resonated with me. It was my that was my favorite store. I was can we go into Fauchon? <laughs> so Unfortunately, I guess for you, was it that your position was eliminated at Macy's or do you see that as kismet? I was devastated when it first happened Um, because it was my first job out of college. I was there 12 years. I had nine positions. It was corporate, but I still, I was working with some really great people that I, that I still in contact with and friends with. I got to travel a lot because I would go overseas to factories. I would go to Europe to oversee trend. So as much as there was a lot of the corporate environment that that's traditional, that uh, a lot of people may not like, I had a lot of perks there in terms of mentoring, travel, knowledge. So I was, I was upset, but I, it really ended up working out because as one, I was young enough. I was in my early thirties where I was a director and I'd made it there fast. I was exited fast, but I made it there fast. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) So I feel like when you're at that age, you could still really like reinvent yourself and you still have a lot of energy. Whereas of course, Mm -hmm. when layoffs happen, I feel like maybe 10 years later, I don't know if I would have the energy or the courage to do that. Maybe, you know, 10 years later, as opposed to when it happened. And also now, I mean, everyone that I used to work with at Macy's has pretty much been laid off. So it's almost like I got a head start from everyone else. So I feel, yeah, I feel fortunate. Yeah, that you were able to turn a negative very much into a positive. Did it also help you while you were there in terms of your traveling that you're bilingual? 
Um, a little bit. I'm not completely bilingual. I'm not going to lie. I can get by with some spoken French. Mm-hmm. Um, I do have a French passport. So that helps when you travel through Europe because then you have the, you can kind of pass through in and out easier. But, um, mm-hmm. I get by cause I've been to over 35 countries. I have to say I get by really well with like a smile. You point to where you want to go or you pantomime. It's kind of fun. Do you pay people off with the chocolate? <laughs> Do you um, buy people with your uh, treats? <laughs> I went, I mean, yes, in a way, yes. <laughs> it's It actually sounds funny, but some of the buyers that I used to, because even though I worked at Macy's, I would s- still have to sell to a buyer. So I'd be developing the brands in-house for Macy's and I would still sell them to buyers. So early on in my career when I, I would have these buy meetings where the buyers would come in to basically purchase our line, I would bake different things. And when the buyers were happy, they would buy more. So I, I caught on to that early on. <laughs> I think they call that word in English bribing. <laughs> Just setting the tone up, you know, because we would provide lunches, but having like a, a really, really gourmet homemade dessert after some of these more generic lunches mm-hmm, that were, you mm-hmm. know provided yeah, not the sexy present. kind of lunches it's yeah not the same yeah. yeah so i and it wasn't necessarily truffles but i i always like to create different pastries or chocolate accents were definitely used yeah and now i mean when i leave a meeting or even if i go into a meeting i find it way easier to negotiate with something that someone can take and physically eat on the spot as opposed to like look at this beautiful shirt. You know, it's easier to sell. I understand. So how was Milen Jardine Chocolatier born? And I guess, was that seed just planted so many years ago that maybe this was just for you a no-brainer? It it was. So it was planted a long time ago, but it was kind of buried under a lot of dirt. It was, there was a lot of things that happened in life that detached me from that dream. But after getting laid off and then you kind of have a clear road in front of you, like, what do I want to do with my life? It, it made sense. You know, I did some soul searching. I I traveled a bit. I hired a business coach. So there were different tools that I had to use to help me really unearth that and and develop that into a brand. And take us on this trajectory. I went to Japan was the first thing that I did after getting laid off. Uh, it's one of my favorite places to go. And you can see in my branding now, there's the logo's a cherry blossom. So when I went there, I, um, I actually took my old business card. I, had a, I have a meditation teacher who said, you know, to help give you closure, kind of part with this business card. Give me something that had importance that doesn't anymore. So I brought him this business card. And he said, when you travel, he goes, find a way to release it so that you can kind of move past this whole situation. So I said, okay. And I went to Japan. And when I was there, there it was cherry blossom season. And it just made sense. I ended up burying my business card under a cherry blossom tree. Um, <laughs> and, then, and then when I got home and I started to... I also went on the trip with um, my younger brother, who was a photographer. So he was making sure that I was very mindful of everything that I was doing. You know, every every chocolate I ate there, every packaging I picked up there, you know, we dissected it and took pictures of it and made sure that what I was going to do go forward had meaning. So you knew back then that... I knew that I wanted to do something with chocolate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I knew that I was just like, you know, I've created 
brands for them. I want to create my own brand, but it needed to be refined. And then I got back and I, ha- I hired a business coach and he told me to make a vision board. He said I was more of a visual person. So to make a business plan just with words, he said, start with pictures. So I got a big board and I put what I want my production to look like, what I want my clients to look like, what I want my packaging to look like. And so I used a lot of the pictures and and branding I picked up from Japan. And I kept putting pictures of cherry blossoms all over for like the branding and the packaging. And then that's when I was like, oh, that's going to be my logo. It started to make sense. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so what were you doing making these creations at home? To, to start, yeah. So to come up with the recipes, I was doing that at home just to, just to start to play around with the different flavors. I also took a class at the, um, the ICE. Uh, oh, Institute of Culinary Education in the city. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it was, I think, like a week-long chocolate class just to learn like the real basics of like how to temper chocolate and also just how to familiarize yourself in like a larger kitchen because it's one thing to do something at home. I know mm-hmm. how to do that, but how do you like scale that out and do it in like a bigger space? So I did take a week long class there just to get my technique down. I still liked my own recipes. I'm working off my, like, I don't like adding sugar to the ganache of a truffle, which is very much against pastry rules. Huh? They like the consistency. It's just something that's done. You add glucose. I think there's too much sugar that's added to things, so I don't do that. And I find my ganache quite nice. It's lovely. Mm-hmm. Um, it just doesn't need it. It doesn't last as long. So, mm-hmm. oh, okay. Instead of maybe like four weeks, it'll be more like two, three weeks shelf life uh, when you eliminate that sugar. But I think that it's better for people to get fresh quality ingredients. Gotcha. So yeah, so I was playing with that at home, um, and then I knew I would need a bigger space because you're not allowed to actually sell. Uh, chocolate products made at home. So I started sourcing like a kitchen, just like I used to source factories overseas for Macy's. I was like, I'm going to source a kitchen. So New York City is wonderful in the sense that they have so many great incubators and startups that will help foodpreneurs. So I went to a few of them. I researched them and I chose the one in Queens. I felt the, the people there, there was a really good support system there. So Foodworks was the other one I was looking at in Brooklyn. That was state-of-the-art, brand new equipment, everything. But the one in Queens just seemed to be a better fit. There was a bit more space. The people were more hands-on and involved. And I'm really happy that I made that decision because they've been amazing partners in helping me get started and helping me get orders and PR. And I'm pretty sure the Foodworks in Brooklyn actually closed down. I think they went bankrupt. They may have... Wow reopened, but they had some financial trouble along the way. What year was this? Uh, it's 2016. Oh, so, so was all this happened pretty quickly after you <laughs> left Macy's. You didn't have too much in the way of downtime, did you? No, no, I didn't. Um, I wasn't planning on... I wasn't planning on getting laid off. So I had, to, yeah. <laughs> I had to move things along. I had just moved into the city the year before. I'd been doing a lot of traveling. So I hadn't necessarily been saving that well. So I was like, I need to get going on what I want to do fast. And then I mm-hmm. also was able to secure my first corporate order by August, September of that year. So I had to deliver for Christmas. So I had to really 
I knew I wanted to do, but sometimes when you have a deadline, that really pushes you to move. But why did somebody hire you? Through a connection. I gave them a bid. I gave them, you know, a prototype. Did you give them samples, Milan? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Well, you're going to actually like this story. I I went to a factory straight in China to source my packaging because to get something custom made in the U.S., the minimums are very, very, very high and it's very, very expensive. And I know how to go and source things at factories overseas. So I just, I used what I knew and the sample from China was not going to come in time to make that bid. So I actually handmade that box and it over to them. No kidding. Probably the, the most elaborate thing I've made with my hands. Cause I don't know if you've seen my boxes or if you go on my website, it's very, it's a sturdy Navy blue box and the inside, it's not a plastic divider. It is silver metallic paper that is like weaved in and, and makes the sections. Mm-hmm, to separate mm-hmm. the I, I handmade all of it. The only thing I didn't do is I had my logo made on like a, a metallic sticker so that when I took it off the paper, it was just like the metallic logo. Right. That, and then I had to, you know, perfectly align it and place it on the box. And I mean, it got me the bid. So in that box, in that handmade box were truffles, correct? Uh Uh-huh. Why truffles? I love truffles. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Nothing wrong with personalizing it, you know. So what I like about these truffles is there's a... A solid shell. So some truffles are just kind of like rolled in cocoa powder, which is very nice. But I like a little bit of a of a thicker shell. So I use a molding technique where you're creating the shell through a mold. I chose these like square pyramids. And then in the inside, you pipe ganache. And when you are piping ganache in, it can be a little bit creamier and softer than if you're enrobing it. Because then it gives me more flexibility to play. Like I'll add liquor in some of them, different herbs, and I can make them really creamy. So I like that contrast of having like the texture, the the crispy shell with the creamy inside, and then there's that that burst of flavor that you're getting from that ganache as well. What was that response like when that box was received and those truffles were sampled? They love them. I was planning like a 10 piece and a 20 piece truffle box. And for their clientele and their price point, a five and a 15 piece box worked better. And I started to ask around some other people too. And they were like, yeah, like I think the five piece, like that smaller box, it's like a a $20 price point. That's like your, your key item. You want something that's like an opening price point at $20. More user friendly. Yeah. So I, you know what, I took that as a, as I was like, okay, then we'll make a five and a 15 piece. And I hadn't officially like produced in China. I was still in the prototyping sample phase. So then I just, I changed my production. I've kept it since because they were right. So who was your first client? Uh, Spinelli Kilcallen. They are a luxury jewelry company in LA. They made the stackable rings is what they're famous for. It's these rings that you can kind of stack where it's like four rings stacked above on one finger, or you can wear them across all your fingers. Okay. Uh-huh. Julia Roberts, Deborah Messing, like a lot of famous people, they're based in LA, support that company. So it was, it made sense. They needed 
a more luxury gift to be able to give to their their top clients and their PR agents. It was it was a good um, relationship. Oh, I see what you mean. So, in other words, if I was one of their clients, I would be given a box of truffles as just a thank you or like a kind of classy thing to do, correct? Yeah, like their top Mm -hmm. clients and accounts and partners would, a lot of corporations do that. They say thank you around the holidays. Sure, sure. They need the right gift, so they chose me as their gift. So then did you have to find a place to, quote, and I use the term in quotes, mass produce your creations? Well, the kitchen that I found, so everything's made in-house at that kitchen. So there's... The one in Queens. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's a cold kitchen. So chocolates are made in a cold kitchen. The room, there's a lot of like science behind it. The room has to be a certain temperature. The chocolate has to be a certain temperature. So they have the facilities to do that, to actually make the chocolate. And then there's another room then where everything gets packed. And then, you know, and then you just ship it out. Are making truffles, it's a lot of work, isn't it? Yeah, it's a it's a very very tedious. There have been certain times, and I was like, "Why did I choose to do one of the most complicated things to start?" I mean, a lot of people start with like a chocolate bar, maybe first, and I jump straight into like a truffle, which is not the easiest thing to make. No, mm-hmm. and I was not formally like classically trained. So that first season, and I started off the first season all on my own. So that first season, it was a lot of work to get all that done. But I was fortunate enough that one of the, I had taken a class too at Neuhaus and one of the the teacher there, I stayed in contact with, and he's like my top chocolatier now. He is Chef Esteban. He is wonderful. He helped me, you know, he came in and said, okay, like this is great what you've started, but here are all the ways that we can kind of streamline this and improve the process so that we can make a lot more in one day. So having him on board has been life-changing. Where do your ingredients come from? All over. So when I travel, I pick up ideas of the different flavors. And then when I come back to the U.S., I source them. And I have a distributor that I use to kind of my cream, my butter. I get the coverture from them as well. I use Valrona and Repubblica de Cocao for my base on a lot of my creations. And for some of the different herbs and spices, I I sometimes go direct to the source and other times I get from my distributor. But like I have lemons that I get straight from a farmer in Sicily, Giuseppe. His lemons are wonderful. I was connected with him and he was a wonderful person. I just get my lemons from Giuseppe. <laughs> you make it sound so natural or so easy. I mean, for me, the in my house, the kitchen is how do I get from the living room into the dining room? <laughs> but again, every woman I've talked to has the most incredible sense of self. It's like, hey, I'm going to do this. And maybe there are bumps along the way, but fuck it. You have to reach your fuck it point if you want to own your own business. Because <laughs> it's um, not easy. Did this thing just kind of take off? I mean, I've had, I still have more scaling up to do. So I'm working on a lot of wholesale accounts right now. I just shipped my first order to Whole Foods for the bars, which I'm excited about. It's been a grassroots effort of leveraging contacts that I've had working in corporate. I do a lot of networking. Um, I try to partner with other, like I have 
I have friends in cheese because, you know, we're not competing and we're just helping each other. I have wine and different liquor. And when I found like when you're genuine, authentic, you, you follow through, you do what you say. I always meet a deadline. People want to be a part of that. People want to support. So I've gotten a lot of support from people to really grow this. So you mentioned just before Whole Foods and bars. So you are not exclusively truffles. Right. So about a year into making the bars, I realized that business was very like a lot of peaks and valleys because then it was very seasonal. It was, you mean you know, a year into making truffles? Yeah. So when I, you know, and you look at your finances, you say, okay, I get these really great peaks around the holidays, especially Christmas, Valentine's Day, but then it's a lot tougher in the warmer months. So I started to get my immediate turnaround was let me get into more of events and I can do favors. I do like chocolate wine and cheese pairings just to keep it more year round. But in, to get into any stores with a product that is not shelf stable, so with fresh cream butter and no preservatives at all, you know, you're looking at two weeks on the shelf without refrigeration. Oh, good point. Very good Four point. Week if you're in a refrigerator. So that's when I realized I needed something shelf stable. And I have advisors too. And I was like, wow, I need to come up with something that's shelf stable. So that's when I launched. The bars are a little over a year old. So, you know, it took time to develop the recipes and get the packaging. And it also, I realized too, like if that's going to be in the stores, how do I make it almost like sell itself? Because the truffle box is very elegant and you get it as a gift. It almost looks like jewelry. You're like, wow. this Very is eye-catching. But just on a shelf, people are like, what? what is this? What's in this box? So for the bars, I made more of a whimsical and colorful packaging. I aligned with... One of the designers that I used to actually work with at Macy's, she was the first person who helped me with my travels to Japan because she was Japanese. So I saw her doing some beautiful sketches on Instagram. So I reached out to her and said, hey, I'd love to work with you on the packaging. So we put together a contract and she was by far like the best person I've ever worked with. I mean, almost every design she gave me was like spot on from the beginning. We didn't need to have a lot of variations. It's just beautiful she does beautiful work. And so um, each package then has the ingredients displayed, but in a kind of a repeat pattern that's very colorful and stylized. So have you also branched out into other chocolate products? I have seasonal flavors that I do for the truffles. There's always a new seasonal truffle flavor. And dried fruits I like to do, like exotic dried fruits. Like I've played with like take a fig and I dip it in chocolate and like dust pistachios on it, ginger, guava paste, dip that in chocolate and put some like chili powder on it. So oh I've goodness. done that. I've done that for more like seasonal gift packages. I haven't mass produced that just yet, but it's something that I still want to play with. There's also this Japanese type confection called Yokon that I had in Japan that I, I want to figure out how to make and then also dip that in chocolate with like some charcoal salt. So that would be shelf stable as well. So it's something that I, I kind of have in my wheelhouse. Something else I'm thinking about doing now is like a keto chocolate. So taking chocolate that's um, like a 100% curvature and using monk fruit to sweeten it. Huh. 
I'm very much a purist. Like the bars that I have now, there's less than eight grams of sugar a bar because it's a good quality chocolate. There's a lot of cocoa butter. And when you add a lot of cocoa butter, it makes the chocolate creamy. I only use dark chocolate. So there's no milk chocolate mm-hmm. in there. The creaminess is from the the cocoa butter. And there's a little bit of chocolate. It's a 70%. So basically when you go to 70%, then the ch- there's chocolate in there to make it less bitter. 100% has no sugar. 70% has a little bit of sugar. Mm-hmm. You know, 55 has more sugar and, and so on. So this keto, you add a little bit of sweetness with the monk fruit. So I'm playing around with that and I'll see um, how that goes. I'm just starting to pull together some different ideas and ingredients. So that's something else that I'm thinking about launching. So obviously your creative juices are always flowing. Oh yeah, of course. What is corporate gifting pairing? Oh, like chocolate, cheese, wine. Like I've been in boardrooms before where whether it be their clients or sometimes a president wants to give his employees a gift. And instead of taking them out to a restaurant, I've gone into like a boardroom and led a nice chocolate wine cheese pairing. I've had like a cheesemonger. We'll have sommeliers and really take them through the journey of all the flavor profiles that are happening. And, you know, and it's plated. So that would be like a plated journey where people have that plate in front of them with the wines. And, you know, we go, we go piece by piece or there's more banquet where if it's like a large scale event, I like to set up pairing stations then. So you have, you know, one station, I call it like my, my refreshing or my citrus tasting a station where there would be the hibiscus mint truffle, the Sicilian salted lemon chocolate bar, a goat cheese and a white wine, like a sancerre. Cause then all of your citrus profiles align. There's a tartness that plays off of each other. It's very refreshing. So, you know, <laughs> you have a station with that. And then I set up the different, the different stations and then people kind of pick and as they go. Boy, I wasn't wrong by using the term mouthwatering. <laughs> can you be, even though you stand in your own space, can you be compared to Jacques Torres? Sure. I mean, I, he is, he's a chocolate master. He's really great at marketing his products. He, he really paved, I feel like, the way in New York for people to appreciate artisanal chocolates. He does some like mainstream items where I know he used to put like Cheerios, he'd cover Cheerios and chocolate. And so I, I may not go that angle. Like he, he kind of took an American classic and started to like play with it and twist it. Mm-hmm. So I, I like everything that he's done. I'm going for a slightly different angle with more fresh, like, you know, the actual, if I'm going to take something, I'm going to take like a fresh fruit that's been dried and dip it as opposed to a Cheerio or like a pretzel or something. Right, like right. Are you retail? I don't have a store, no. So I have wholesale where other stores will have some of my product. And I'm really leveraging my online shop right now. So if you go to the website, it's it's my name. It's M-I-L-E-N-E-J-A-R-D-I-N-E.com. There's the email. There's a phone number. There's all social media. So you can get in touch with me in multiple ways. So people can go online and order. But my kitchen is not... There's no like front facing where you can buy. It's more of an industrial space just for production. So as I also mentioned in the introduction that you've got some fans and uh, <laughs> how'd Warren Buffett and Sting wind up in your camp? Warren Buffett, the this goes back to my kitchen. They are wonderful people. So the kitchen is supported by the Queen's Economic Development 
Corporation and the QEDC. And the gentleman who runs that, Seth, he has family that has dinner with Warren Buffett every year for Christmas. So every year for Christmas, he uses my chocolates to gift to him. And apparently Warren Buffett's grandson loves the chocolate. I think the first year, I don't even know if Warren even got to try them because his grandson, I think, ate all of them. (laughs) Then he buys more boxes. I have some friends in real estate. And one of my friends there was closing on Sting's apartment. So he used my chocolates to gift to Sting to say, you know, I was like, a thank you. The chefs, oh, well, Dominique Crenn, I absolutely adore her. She's one of my like idols because not only, I mean, is she an amazing chef and she's trying to change. She's one of the top female chefs. And I, I almost hesitate in saying that because I want to be in a place where you don't have to say she's the top female chef. She's just one of the top chefs. And And she's a three-star Michelin chef. She's a three-star Michelin chef. Yeah. So, I mean, I've always just watched her. She, she speaks out. She's a bit of an activist. She speaks her mind. She uses her platform to really create change and good. She works with the farmers to get the ingredients fresh for all of her, her restaurants. So those ideas resonated with me. She does it on a much larger scale than I do, but just, her mindset and how she creates, I really, I really appreciate. And even though her place is in San Francisco, um, she did a guest appearance in New York and I went to it. So I took one of my closest friends and I was like, we're going to go out to eat. And Dominique Crane is cooking and she is like one of my favorite people in the world. And literally before going into the restaurant, I bring chocolate with me everywhere. That's just what I do. <laughs> So I had my my chocolate in my bag, and I was so I was so nervous to like write her the note because I you know I put in a handwritten note as well, and I had such a hard time writing because I was like, what do I say to like one of my favorite people? Because I didn't know if I was even going to be able to see her, but I wanted to like prep it. Try you know, certainly try. So I'm I'm sitting, I'm eating, and um, she comes out from the kitchen, and of course I had just. I think I had a big piece of duck in my mouth when I saw her from my kitchen. Of course, I jumped up like a like a cartoon character. No, you know, no thought, no nothing. And like wave her over. So she comes over, and then I start talking to her with this big piece of food in my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't write it well, <laughs> but I basically told her how much I respected and adored her. And then I asked her if she'd want to try the chocolates, and she said yes. So I gave her the chocolates, and then I ended up posting about it on social media because I was just like I got to meet one of my idols I was so excited and I tagged her and said thank you for like the great meal and she wrote me back and said thank you for the chocolates they were delicious and I was like you died and went to heaven huh (laughs) (laughs) do you have relationships with restaurants speaking of Dominique Crenn and Le Cirque and all these places not yet not yet we'll see right now there's a a Michelin restaurant in the in the city, Odo. So Chef Odo, he's a Japanese chef. And right before COVID, he brought some to do like whiskey and chocolate pairings in his back room. So it's a very intimate, like 13-person seated restaurant. The back room was going to be for chocolate and whiskey pairings. And we started that, but then COVID happened. So the restaurant obviously shut down. Um, they're doing some takeout orders. So they're working now on a, a web platform where they'll be selling more of their high-end sushi and pairing it back with chocolate. So we are in discussions and working on that. So I'll have the restaurant kind of thing opening up again, hopefully. 
Well, obviously, we can't ignore COVID, which must be having an incredible impact on your business on the one hand. On the other hand, you're also, I read in the New York Times, donating chocolates to first responders. So what a contrast. (laughs) Business is not the same as it was five months ago. It's definitely not. So when COVID first happened in March, so I launched that program in March just because um, it was I don't know, it was devastating watching the news and seeing everything going on. And I have a lot of friends in healthcare and we happened to be, we all went on a trip a year ago. So we were all on the same like WhatsApp chat. And so they started chatting about what was going on. And I didn't necessarily understand all of it because they were speaking a lot of medical terms. So I would I asked my father because he was a nurse to explain to me. I'm like, what is really like going on? What are they, you know? And I realized the severity of the situation from actual people in the hospital system, not necessarily the news. So I just started, I, I just felt bad. Like, like, what do you do? So I, I started to give them chocolates. That's what I do. I'm like, I don't know. I feel bad. Have some, have some chocolate. It makes me happy. And so- Just what the doctor ordered me then. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I went and I dropped off to one of my friends, she was over at um, Sloan Kettering and they, they wrote me back. They were like, thank you so much. It was so nice to get like a break from everything and go and that, you know, they'd like hide in the other room and eat a piece of chocolate and just have a little bit of that, like being able to relax and, and gather themselves. Cause it was, it was so tense and hectic. And then I, I was trying to figure out, you know, how do I pivot my business? I need to be more online. And I got a coaching call from this woman I was doing her, uh, Julia Pinsler. She's a wonderful uh, business coach. I ended up was listening to one of her calls and she pulled me in live. So I was telling her what was going on and she was like, launch the program. Do you like a chocolate for healthcare workers program? And I was like, oh, that's a good idea because I can reach more than just my friends. So I did. So I just kind of took matters into my own hands. I looked at my margins. So I reduced the cost on everything. I took away the shipping so that people can then go online and they can order and it, I can send the chocolates directly to someone on my list of healthcare workers because I know some people in healthcare, I'm always getting names or they can designate it for someone that they want to send it to who's a healthcare worker just Mm -hmm. to be able to have like a greater, a greater reach. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about tomorrow. Where do you see Milan Chocolatier going? What is it that you want to do that you haven't done? Because you really are, are so not intimidated by, by life. (laughs) <laughs> in the short term, I definitely want to continue to scale up the online business, get more of the direct-to-consumer model going, get into more stores with the chocolate bars. Long term, I'd love a little pastry shop in Paris, in Tokyo, and New York. Three little flagships. And then expand, obviously, into a little bit of pastry ice cream down the line I love as Mm. well with chocolate bases or chocolate um, accents like Dominique on sale. He's a, he's someone else who I really am inspired by. He has these key shops in London, Tokyo. He has two in New York. So not, not what he's doing more chocolate based. So kind of having those presents, some of those key cities, but with more of a, of a confection than a pastry. But I think it's important to have, a little bit of pastry, even if you're a a chocolate shop. And, you know, like coffee and tea. Mm -hmm. Well, it begs the question, how's your mother handling all of this? 
considering that back in the day while she was encouraging, she wasn't a sugar person, but she must be just over the moon. She, I mean, she loves chocolate, loves, loves chocolate. I think when I was a kid, one time I found chocolate like hidden in one of her drawers. I was like, oh, she died <laughs> um, So she definitely appreciates the chocolate and she's so supportive. She works at Air Canada at LaGuardia and I've actually gotten some of my accounts from my mother. She's, she's very kind to the people that she, she checks in there. She's been there a long time. So they often give her more of, you know, the VIP first class clients to work with. And if they ever they're say like, oh, can I do you like a favor? Can I, you know, how you were so kind to me. She hands them my business card and she's like, Excellent. help me help my, help my daughter. Oh, that's fabulous. That's fabulous. I guess on some level, the stars were aligned when 2016 rolled around and you found that you were in yeah. a pink slip, that you made chicken salad out of chicken shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I got, and Inez DeSanto, she's a famous wedding gown designer. Um, she's in like Bergdorf. My mom went to her fashion, took me to her fashion show. Before I even started the chocolates, my mom has, was friends with this woman just from I, being nice with checking her in properly. And I'm not sure what my mother does. She's like a, like a magician over there. I don't know how she makes people happy. <laughs> well, whatever but, it is, yeah, it's working apparently. Whatever it is so. working. And you know, so Valentine's Day, one time she brought my chocolates for the different boutiques she was in. So getting to ship to like Bergdorf Goodman, I was like, oh, the chocolates are going to Bergdorf. Thank you, mom. Yeah. <laughs> My father's in the kitchen. He packs chocolates with me because he's retired. So he'll be in the kitchen packing chocolates or doing like FedEx runs. Yeah. It's wonderful to be able to kind of reinvent yourself and to see, yeah, I keep using all these cliches, but you're clearly involved in a labor of love. Mm -hmm. It's true. Well, continued success, Milen. And it was just so my pleasure to meet and get to know you. It's just wonderful. I'm in awe of all these women that I meet who just take the bull by the horns and they do what it is that they have to do. It's just terrific, really. Thank you. I appreciate you having me. Thank you. Continued success. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for sharing all these stories and helping women. It's helpful to hear other people's stories and see how other people did it. So you're of service to a lot of different women to give them encouragement. So thank you. Oh, uh, that's really, that warms the cockles of my heart. That's probably <laughs> in truffles. Anyway, <laughs> thank you again. Join us for another edition of Conversations with Creative Women. I'm Sandy Klein. <laughs>